0: Doc's Watch is meant for entertainment purposes only and not, I repeat, not meant to give medical advice or diagnosis. Always consult your doctor and not your podcast host if you have a medical question, concern, or ailment. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to Docs Watch, the show where real doctors tell you what's real, what's not, and what's maybe possible in your favorite movies and TV shows. I'm Dr. Jen. And I'm Dr. Deepa.
0: And today's episode is a special one, mainly because this is the topic that actually created this whole podcast to begin with, I would say.
1: Yeah, we we came up with this idea the idea for this podcast when we were in residency and I think we were on nights when we All first the best ideas coming around two AM Of sitting course. sitting in a resident lounge. Yeah, when you have to be awake all night and you're just in the resident lounge talking about TV shows and and movies and whatever. And movies and whatever. Um and so this was shortly after season one of Jessica Jones had come out, yeah. I think. And we were specifically talking about the scene that we're gonna discuss in today's episode. And that just sparked this whole idea for this podcast.
0: Yeah. I think we talked about it, like, quite a few times and then thought about it some more and then, like, came back the next day and were like, you know, I thought a little bit more about that again. (laughs) And wouldn't it be cool if yada, yada, yada. And we were like, everybody needs to know about this. Listen to our ideas. And and here here we are. Here we are. So we are going to cover today uh, remedial training for trauma management needed in the New York City emergency room. Uh, Where Jessica Jones finds herself. Yep. Brain juice. Lots of brain juice. Lots of
1: brain juice. A whole mess of acronyms that I apparently said, and now you have to define. (laughs) Deepa promised you. Um, And then also, when I was putting together the liner notes for this episode, which are extensive... Again, due to Jeeva's promises. Yeah, they have pictures and everything. Um, I realize that there is a there were some discrepancies between some of the numbers that we say in the podcast and then some of the actual numbers for like adult human people. And it is because we are both pediatrics by training in that like we trained on how to do medicine in children. Exactly. And so all of our numbers and volumes and stuff are accurate to our expertise. And are not accurate to adult people like Luke Cage, which is definitely not our expertise. Correct. So I did try the concepts. The concepts are 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 still the same. Yeah, Yeah, that's fine. Um, But I did try to find the correct numbers, and those are all in the liner notes. So check them out before you tweet. Yes,
0: please don't send us mean tweets before you do the reading. Thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, Enjoy the episode.
1: Okay, Deepa, let's go to rounds. And today it's going to be a little bit different because we have to break down this scene a little bit more.
0: Yeah, the whole thing.
1: The whole thing. So this is the scene at the end of season one. It spans like the last two episodes and... Basically, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage got into a big fight because Luke Cage is being mind-controlled by Kilgrave. Mind-controlled. And mind-controlled. And ultimately, she shoots him in the head, like right underneath his jaw with a shotgun as she gets out of a police car. So at the beginning of the last episode in season one, she is taking him to the emergency room.
0: So they go into the ER, and then there's this whole scene where... Um, all the doctors in the ER sort of, like, rush towards him because he's, like, an unconscious guy in a wheelchair, basically. Um, And so they're saying all kinds of, like, fancy things, like head injury with LOC, which stands for loss of consciousness. Uh, And then they say possible blunt force trauma. And they rush him to... Uh, get his head scanned
1: yeah the one of the things that we want to know is the thing that they don't do with this patient that comes in with loss of consciousness is the abcs like checking his airway his breathing his circulation which seems like it should be the first thing that you would do yeah it's always the first um, thing you
0: do they don't even like check a blood pressure check his pulse anything no, like that they don't take vitals yeah. they
1: just wheel him to get a an imaging they say ct But ultimately, when we look at the monitor later, when he's in a trauma bay or like in one of the emergency room bays, um, it is an MRI. Yeah. Is what it looks like. Which
0: is fine. But typically, I mean, when you work in an emergency room and there's some sort of trauma that comes in, the first thing you do is a a survey, which is you get the patient in a room, you get them out on the stretcher, and then you have to assess like every single part of their body to figure out what are all the things you're going to want to do.
1: Yeah, you'll hear people call it primary and secondary survey, and a primary survey is basically the ABCs. So you check their airway, check their breathing, check their pulse, make sure everything there is okay, and you don't have to, like, call a code. Or do yeah do
0: CPR, or, like, put in a breathing tube, or something like that.
1: And if those things are stable, then you do something called a secondary survey, where you basically go through the rest of the systems and see where you are in terms of, like, wounds... Neurological status, like all of those things. Possible
0: internal injuries. But right. anyway, so they take him to, uh, you don't see them take him out to whatever kind of scan he ends up getting, but then they bring him back to the regular ER area. Um, and they try to, somebody says um, he is, oh, they look and they see that his blood pressure is high. And they say, we should give mannitol. Um, and then what they try to do is they keep trying to pierce his skin with the needle to give him mannitol, but then they can't. It keeps breaking. Uh, and then they all kind of look at each other and they're like, oh, no,
1: he's one of those. <laughs>
0: I mean, nobody says yeah. that, but everybody looks at each other and then the ER attending. I think
1: someone does say that. I want to say the ED doctor says that. Or no, maybe Claire says it.
0: No, I, maybe it's the that guy. says point. There's like a man,
1: like a resident. Or,
0: or no, he's a nurse. Oh, yeah, the ER attending is like, give me a nurse that knows what they're doing. And, I was and then like, Claire
1: Temple steps up, and she also cannot pierce his skin with a needle right. because Luke Cage has unbreakable skin.
0: And then the ER attending goes, call the chief of surgery. I
1: mean, call yeah, the I chief think of the staff. I that's the point where she was like, I need – she's like – I need a consult. She's confused. No, no, no. Because what happens is after, after they do that and his blood pressure is climbing, Claire Temple notices that. She's like, oh, we have to – I don't remember what exactly she's trying to do, but she asks for a drill – to make a hole in his head. Oh, right. Presumably yeah, yeah, to yeah. put in the monitor or to relieve pressure. Yeah. She doesn't really specify. Oh, that's right. And she tries to drill his head right in his forehead. <laughs> and that doesn't work. And his and her drill breaks. And then she looks confused and she's like, uh, I need a consult. And then slowly walks, walks away, away
0: looking for the chief of staff. And then Claire is like, <laughs> uh, OK, guys. Uh, yeah. So then what happens is they are like, Jessica starts to realize that. It, it'll be better if they just leave. Um, yeah. And she's like, do things non-invasive. Do things non-invasive. Because she doesn't want to give away that he's a superhero. Um, and so they basically take him, she and Claire, take him back to, uh, it's Claire's apartment, right? No, it's Jessica's
1: apartment. Oh, it's Jessica's apartment. Um, okay. Yeah, because Claire actually takes him there herself alone initially. Because Jessica, I don't remember what Jessica's doing in the hospital, but she sends Claire ahead of her. And then Jessica gets tied up because Kilgrave mind controls a bunch of people. Oh, at the yeah. Or something and like that's, that.
0: That's definitely like it's a delay for yeah, Jessica and then she, to get and back. And then she
1: ultimately shows up at her apartment where Claire Temple has packed ice all around, around his around head. Luke Cage.
0: Which is like, okay. And then he starts to move his hand a little bit, but then he has a full on generalized tonic clonic seizure. And then Claire's like, hold his head. <laughs> Because I'm about to do something that's crazy. And she takes, she pulls out this huge needle on a syringe and then sticks it on the middle part, the sort of medial aspect of his left eye, and then just puts it in his head and then withdraws some yellowish fluid. And sometimes that, (laughs) somehow that makes him better. And then he wakes up. Well, he stops having a seizure, and then later in the episode he wakes up and he's fine, but he, like, quote-unquote, has a headache.
1: Yeah, but otherwise is completely himself. Yeah. Which, there's a lot. There's a lot in this scene that we kind of need to talk about. Yeah. Um, but we're going to focus on a few different things, mostly related to um, why they did the mannitol Why um, he was seizing and why his blood pressure was high, which is all related to the fact that his intracranial pressure was elevated. Yeah.
0: So today we're going to be talking about mostly the what you do when somebody has a traumatic brain injury, which is what we're diagnosing Luke Cage with in this episode. It's also interesting that Jessica like knows that this is something she could do, you know, because. If you think about the reason that she sort of shoots him to begin with, she's basically just trying to disable him somehow because he's being mind-controlled. Right. Um, And then she knows that... I mean, he's so huge and strong that, like, even he's even stronger than she is in a lot of ways. Um, But she also knows that, like, she can't break his skin. And so in a split second, she has this idea of, like, let me take a shotgun and shoot him under the chin, uh, which ultimately causes like a huge amount of force to be absorbed sort of in his skull. And all of that force will cause swelling and all that stuff. And that's ultimately what makes him sort of pass out.
1: Here's a question, which might be getting a little bit too much into character motivation. So you don't have to answer if you don't want to. Oh, but I would. does she know that it? she could do that? Or is she just doing it purely out of self-preservation? I,
0: you know, you're probably right. I, I think she probably doesn't know that that's what i mean she knows that the bullet's not going to go through him but she was probably just like let me just try this
1: did he get shot earlier in the season i don't remember it's been a while since i've seen season one i think
0: he does get shot earlier i mean she knows his skin is impenetrable because
1: no he does you're right people
0: try to um because there's that big bar fight and the people try to like break glasses on him and it just doesn't work and somebody tries to like stab him with a knife and it doesn't work.
1: <laughs> okay. So let's talk about the unbreakable skin for a moment. Okay. So from what, what what I had to look this up because in the show, and I will admit that I have not read the Jessica Jones Luke Cage comics, so I don't know all of the details, but at least in the show, it says that basically is unbreakable skin. And when we were looking into this, it turns out that at least in the comics, it's really just very dense skin muscles and bones and apparently also rapid cellular regeneration not degeneration that would be a completely different thing that would be the opposite
0: of the result they would have wanted from that experiment
1: and it sounds like they kind of thought about this idea of like what you would do if he needed medical intervention at least in the comics because they did say that his skin could be cut but only with a modified, like, laser that's super powerful. Which
0: is, like, something that somebody in the, like, evil lab where he got these powers to begin with would probably have, but not your run-of-the-mill downtown emergency room.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the problems of super-dense skin?
0: Well, the main thing, I mean, especially as it relates to the skin. So obviously the pluses are that nobody's going to cut you <laughs> in a fight. Uh, sure. You can't be really killed by bullets. Well, I mean, I guess you can't be killed by piercing bullets um and you know it's it's nice if you're really klutzy and tend to cut yourself with knives or presumably you can't break
1: your bones if they're also super dense that's true although there are medical disorders where your bones are very dense and that causes a whole other Other set of problems set of problems
0: um so the main thing is that you can't do any kind of invasive monitoring if you're really sick so you can do if somebody like this Somebody like this. (laughs) Nobody is like this. (laughs) If Luke Cage were to walk into an emergency room or a clinic, you could take his blood pressure. You could take his pulse. You could take his respiratory rate. You could figure out his oxygen saturation and his temperature. But if he were really sick, you couldn't really do much else. Um, But honestly, like those extra things are – Are sort of things you can do without. Specifically, like right now he's passed out and so, and you don't know what's going on with him. It would be nice to have something like continuous blood pressure monitoring or putting in an arterial line, which is a catheter that goes into an artery. Usually it's somewhere in your wrist. Um, or for some people, it might be like for little babies, we sometimes have to put it in their leg just because their blood vessels are so small. Um, but basically, it's a small catheter that goes in uh, and you can hook it up so you can be looking at their blood pressure like second to second. Um, so you obviously couldn't put anything like that in. Um, and then the other thing is you couldn't do like any kind of... IV anything. So you wouldn't be right, able to meds, get...
1: Basically. Yeah, you
0: couldn't put basically. Medi- you couldn't get medications into his bloodstream, and you couldn't take blood out uh, in order to check things like electrolytes or or hemoglobin or, or anything like that that you normally would do in a patient that presents uh, in a trauma. So you couldn't put anything in, you couldn't get anything out, you couldn't do any continuous monitoring. But... One of the cool things I think about this scene is there are actually, for this particular thing, some things that you can do that don't involve any of that.
1: Right. Which, I mean, Claire does the eye thing. Is that where you're going? Where are you going?
0: Kind this? of. Um, we can uh, – we'll go through – I guess we'll talk about it when we go through everything you do with a, a severe traumatic brain injury. Um, but uh, one thing that we talked about was – or I had this idea about labs. Um, so, you know, obviously you can't go through his skin, but Claire goes through his eye later. So the the implication is that, you know, because essentially around your eye, your eye is obviously open to the world. Um, the eye itself has like a, a sort of protective layers uh, to protect the inside of your eye from like all the dust and light and everything in the world. Um, and then there's sort of a series of muscles and some connective tissues around it. Um, but she uses his eye as an entry point to get into his brain to pull out CSF, which
1: is cerebrospinal fluid. but right. and i I thought I think this was really interesting to us when we saw this scene, and I think. One of the first questions we had was, is this even possible? Yeah. Like, could you get CSF by going through somebody's eye? And, I mean, we'll get into it, but long story short, yes. Yes. But it's not (laughs) probable that you're going to do it without damaging lots of stuff.
0: It's definitely not ideal. So, um, the other thing I just thought about briefly was that in the lab, um, in like a scientific lab, one of the ways that you can get blood from especially rats is there's a big blood vessel that's right on the middle part of their eye. And so some people, if they're doing an experiment where they need to get blood from rats, you can like, it's kind of gross, but you can sort of pull their skin back a little bit and expose this blood vessel and get labs from there. So, you know, there are big arteries. Don't look at pictures. Don't look at pictures of this. Don't look it up. It's gross. (laughs) Um, There are blood vessels and arteries around. So if she did want to get some labs from him when they were still in the ER, I guess theoretically she could have by putting a needle in his eye.
1: Yeah. And that's assuming that his blood vessels aren't super dense also. That's true. Who knows? Who knows? So.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about what exactly it is she does and if it's possible.
1: Okay. So she she sticks a giant needle. It's a very long needle into the medial or the part of the eye that's closer to the nose of his left eye. Yeah. And and the reason why this this theoretically could work is because the way that your eye is structured is you have you have your eyeball, and then at the back of your eyeball is the optic nerve, which carries all of your visual information to your brain. Yeah, and the optic nerve is actually surrounded by the three layers of what are called meninges, which are three layers that surround your brain. And the optic nerve is surrounded by those same three layers, and is also surrounded by cerebral spinal fluid, which is all the fluid that is surrounds your brain yeah. as well. And you so need all of the, all of these spaces are like. Connected, so in theory, it is possible for you to get CSF.
0: Yeah, and the CSF is like the fluid that surrounds your brain, one to like keep everything lubricated and absorb shocks. Um, right. So, like if you hit your head or something, it's not like end all be all for your brain every time, um, but also contains like also is a way for um, you know for the. Uh, nutrients and stuff that like help all the cells in your brain sort of recycle um so it's like constantly being produced and then constantly sort of like bathing and washing all of your sort of central nervous things so it runs from your brain all the way down your spine
1: yeah yeah and normally so there are there are times when you do need access to csf usually um, you try to leave it alone because you don't want to breach any kind of barrier between the outside world and the space surrounding your brain. Yeah. That's how you get infections of your brain, called which are really bad.
0: Me- like meningitis. Yes. Meninges. Irritation <laughs> which of is, the meninges. Which are those layers
1: yep. that we just talked about. Um, so normally, if we do need CSF, we do it with what is called a lumbar puncture. Or a spinal tap. Um, or an tab. LP or a spinal tap. All of those words or all of those terms are for the same thing. Yeah. And that's where we go pretty low in your spine. So the lumbar region of your spine, the lower back. And we stick a long needle through the spaces between your vertebra into the needle. space. It's not too, yeah, too a bad. longish needle. Yeah. Well, it depends on how oh, true I are. We're you pediatrics. Yeah. So like the needles are short. Yeah. But in adults, it's a pretty long that's needle. That's true. You're right. You're right. Um, and so it goes into the space around the spine. And you can draw fluid out from there. But in an emergency situation, especially if, if the situation is related to the fact that the pressure in your brain is increased, or the pressure around your brain has increased, um, then what you usually would do is consult neurosurgery and have them put a drain directly into one of the spaces in your brain that contains a lot of CSF, which is called a ventricle.
0: Yeah, and you have um, sort of two main ventricles i guess three main ventricles three main ventricles. in the head um and well, there's also
1: a fourth ventricle but they're all named yeah, different things exactly so.
0: so um when we're looking at like what exactly claire is doing we sort of go you know so the needle itself is going in the eye and the way that it works uh in terms of following the course of like your optic nerve um is that the nerves they're they're big nerves optic nerves are like very large nerves. So like when you're in medical school and you're doing a dissection of a brain, um, they're one of the more obvious things to see. And it kind of makes sense because essentially your eye is a miracle. Like the fact that you can see is insane. Yeah. Um, but it requires a lot of n- like nerves and information to go through. Um, but they're really big nerves and they all, they, the from each side, from the left and right side, they sort of course back towards essentially the center of your brain. Um, and then it at a, forms... So at an angle, At basically. an angle, yeah. So they both are going yeah. at each other and then they meet in the middle um, and then they form this thing called the optic chiasm, which is like a big sort of, almost like square-shaped bundle of nerves. And then it kind of goes mm-hmm. out to the back where your sort of visual centers actually are in the brain um, that process all the information that your eyes send it. And so that space has some cerebrospinal fluid around it uh, because there's a couple of other things in that area uh, because it's kind of like how do you describe it it's like the bottom it's like underneath the main cortex of your brain above and then below it is the pituitary gland which is a gland that controls a lot of hormones uh, that you know regulate like your sleep wake cycle not your sleep wake cycles but like your just general like sex hormones and adrenal hormones and all that stuff Um, A lot of hormones. Yeah. It's
1: pretty important. So it's
0: like there's a lot of negative space there that's filled with CSF, and that space is called the third ventricle. Yeah. And that's where we're assuming she's getting the CSF from based on how she goes into the eye and the angle she goes into the eye. Because she aims sort of more medially. Like, she aims towards the center of the brain.
1: Yeah. And she gets a... Quite a bit of CSF, like yeah. it is basically one syringe. It looks like maybe a fifty cc syringe full of CSF, that's true. and
0: that's like a that's a lot. That's probably bigger than that space actually is.
1: Yeah, because I think your brain is actually sitting in something like fifty cc's yeah. of CSF, and you actually you make a lot of CSF throughout the day. Like you make half a liter of CSF a day, and it's because you're constantly making and reabsorbing the CSF. Um, so that's why we can drain um, CSF through like a spinal tap or through like the neurosurgically placed shunt and things like that. And it won't cause long-term problems for anybody. Yeah. But the idea that I don't know that you could stick a needle in that space and get that much CSF out at one time. Maybe it's a 25 CC needle. I mean, even even so she does get
0: a good amount out. And the thing, the thing that's, that is kind of funny about it is for adults that get spinal taps done, um, probably the most common like complication or symptom is that they get a headache afterwards um and i and then correct me if i'm wrong but we don't see that as much in little babies because their skulls are still moldable and so i don't think they feel that effect of the pressure change or the you know the fluid change as much um as you are when you're an adult and all of your sutures in your skull are all fused. Um, yeah, I
1: think sometimes maybe they're, like, fussy, but it's also hard to tell. It's hard to babies. tell. That's
0: true. So. Um, but yeah, so it's funny that Luke Cage, like, the one thing he has is a headache. Is
1: a headache.
0: <laughs> like, he's got a post-LP
1: headache. So I think from, from the research that we did about the, the, the theory of this procedure, it seems like this would be possible, but the chances of you not... Hitting the optic chiasm or hitting the pituitary gland yeah. or hitting the hypothalamus or any of those important structures that sit right there. Yeah, there are I so really many low. things there.
0: Like, there's a really high chance that Luke Cage would be blind in at least one eye or have yep. some visual field and his loss.
1: His brain is a little scrambled by a needle. His,
0: yeah, and like everything on the way in. Um, yeah. Also, <laughs> his could easily damage part of his pituitary, which would like mess up his hormones which is yeah. not good um like if he had like a uh, pituitary insufficiency or something like that he could get really fat uh he wouldn't be able to <laughs> like
1: that would be the least of his worries <laughs> i think after claire stuck a needle in his eye into his brain i mean but
0: yes all these things could happen he would he might not be able to like produce enough stress hormones for like when he has to like fight or flight so many yeah. i think he, he just fights I don't think he you know what i mean He's, <laughs> <laughs> his electrolytes will be all messed up
1: yeah i mean basically yes maybe this is possible but the chances of it being able to happen without significant significant sequela is very low
0: Loki, just as an aside i think if people want to take the time to really appreciate how amazing your body is look up <laughs> what the pituitary does Yeah, no kidding. And the
1: eye. That's your homework assignment. Go look up both of those things.
0: You know, endocrinology is not the sexiest of medical professions, but it is one of those that if that system is a little bit not right, can really have significant impacts on your like (laughs) well-being.
1: You know. That's an understatement. Right. Go look it up and just see how much of an understatement that is.
0: Other things are, you know, like with cardiology, it's like your heart either works or it doesn't and if it doesn't yeah. it's like oh you're like going to be dead or something like that but this is like a little bit of dysfunction can cause a sort of like
1: smoldering badness it's fascinating but that's not what we're talking about today yeah. we're talking Back to about our um Mr. tbi cage. tbi and or traumatic brain injuries yes. and increased um icp so let's talk about um, the hypertension yes. that we see, which they note in the emergency room as they're trying to stab him with needles. Yeah,
0: so when they're trying to stab him with needles, somebody says his blood pressure is 180 over 110. Um, and so the reason, I, I thought it was actually really cool that they like included this in the whole thing, because what they're going for is they're trying to describe Cushing's triad, uh, which is the sign that somebody has intracranial Pressure. These are things yeah. that come together. So high intracranial pressure. Intracranial pressure is just the amount of pressure in your cranium or your head. Yeah. Or
1: your- and because like we said, as an adult, your skull is just an enclosed space so that the only hole essentially is the place where your spinal cord comes goes from comes out of your skull. Um, so your brain, we call it like a brain in a box. Your brain is just sitting in a very rigid box, and so the amount of pressure in there is going to affect all of the structures in there, which is just your brain. And
0: the reason the that part. having a high pressure in there is bad is for one, for one thing, I mean it it makes you it disrupts some of the functions of your brain. But your brain stem, which is the lower part of your brain, or it's kind of like the stock that your brain sort of sits on before it goes through that hole in the base of your skull into your spinal column, that part of your brain has essentially like all the important things (laughs) that you need to function. And when that starts to get pushed through that part of your brain, because there's too much pressure,
1: that is how you
0: can be closer to dying. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and Cushing, cushing's triad or reflex um is kind of a later sign yeah. of increased ICP, which if you see these things, so the three components of it are basically hypertension, so increased blood pressure, um bradycardia, which means your heart rate slows down, and then um abnormal breathing or apnea. So either slower breathing or not weird breathing, breathing or not breathing at all. And and basically, when you see that, what you're really concerned about is the fact that the increased pressure in the skull has led to a situation where you're worried that the base of your brain is going to herniate or push through that singular hole in your skull. Yeah,
0: and that's um, and if that, that happens, is major bad, you madness.
1: will die basically. Yeah. So, so all
0: of those things. So it's like all of the centers that control those like basic vital uh, body functions. Are right in that part of the brain and so when you start seeing these signs you're like in pretty big trouble already yeah um that's why we worry when people have head injuries if they say that they were throwing up a lot we worry about high intracranial pressure because that is also a center that's right in that brain stem this area that makes you throw up and so when that gets like compressed you puke and so that's that's why we care about it so we Cushing's triad is what they talk about and recognize, which is kind of cool. Um, And the main thing when you start worrying that somebody has high intracranial pressure is there's a number of things that you can do to bring it down. And they go from sort of non-invasive to very invasive uh, things. And so we'll sort of go through each of those. There's like a, you know, there's a sort of algorithm of things that you can do. um, And we'll go through each of those steps.
1: Yeah, so the the first things that you can do, which are kind of the least invasive things. Well, in theory, if you were going through this situation in a hospital, you would have neurosurgery come and put in um, an ICP monitor. So a monitor that actually just can tell you or give you an idea of what the pressure is inside the brain yeah. or inside the skull. Um, and then you would also frequently have them place or they would place an EVD, which is called an external. Oh, God external ventricular device drain Is it? right drain yeah i think it's external ventricular uh i think you're right i think it's drain because it drains stuff. So that makes sense. Yeah, you got it. Um, External ventricle. And so what the EVD, if you have those things, one of the first things that you could do is simply just open the EVD, open the drain, and have a little bit of CSF come out. And that will just decrease the pressure automatically because you're removing some of the fluid there. Um, The other things you can do are basically elevate the patient's head above their heart. It seems obvious. gravity helps. But
0: it seems obvious, but being in a slightly head up position is actually not a typical position that we keep people in in the hospital. No, so,
1: because it's very inconvenient for a lot of other emergency yeah. things that might need to happen. Yeah. But it is important in increased ICP. They do not do this in the so emergency. So, L being head of the bed Cage. is one of the things
0: they could do for Luke Cage, since they don't have access to anything that is inside his skin.
1: Yeah. They can also, um, the other thing that we'll do is we'll keep patients really sedated and sometimes even paralyzed in Luke. Cage's case, he's passed out, so. Yeah. And he, he can't, it's hard to get him sedation. Although you could go rectally Oy. and give him benzos mm. and stuff. Or in his if nose. If you needed <laughs> Or in his nose. Or his you mouth. You could sedate him. Um, and so those are, and then and then you do things like you just maintain their oxygen status um, and in theory at this point if you had loss of consciousness you don't really know exactly what's going on and you had increased intracranial pressure patients would normally be on a vent Yeah, you would be controlling their breathing
0: and you would put them on a ventilator um, because another thing that you can do to try to decrease the pressure in the brain is hyperventilate someone so make them breathe faster than normal to blow off CO2 um, because CO2 is a vasodilator, which means it makes blood vessels um, dilate or get bigger to get more flow. And so what it does is it will uh, try to make that not happen in the brain.
1: Right. Um, The other things you can do are, are things that we would do for any patient, like treating seizures, which they do try to do for Luke Cage. Um, they do it in a really weird way, but they, they treat a seizure. Um, you would treat fevers. Like if there was any kind of temperature deviation, you would work on that. And then the, once we start talking about mannitol, which is one of the things they call up, call for in the emergency room, those are kind of what we call second tier interventions. So mannitol, yeah. um, is basically, it's called something called hyperosmolar therapy. Yeah. It's a type of sugar. Um, Yeah.
0: And so what it does is it makes the uh, it's it's hyperosmolar, which means there's a certain amount of like substances in your blood normally, like electrolytes and sugars and all this stuff that gives it a certain amount of uh, osmoles, which is just like how many particulates are in a certain amount of fluid. And if you give something that is higher than that, it sort of pulls fluid from outside the blood
1: vessel to inside the blood vessel to get it out of there. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, well, you can t- use mannitol, and then sometimes we'll use what's called hypertonic saline, which just means salt water with a high concentration of salt, yeah. essentially. Um, and then in addition to hyperosmolar therapy, you can do things like cooling. So if you give someone hypothermia, essentially, monitored hypothermia, yeah. that can lower their increased, um, they, that can lower their intracranial pressure. And then um, the more. Serious interventions that are kind of last resorts for the most part are um, just surgical decompression, which is where neurosurgery will come and remove a portion of the skull. So your brain kind of has a place to swell um, so that it doesn't herniate down through that hole at the base of your skull. Yeah. Um, or you can put someone into a barbiturate coma.
0: Which is like a medically – that's a truly medically induced coma. Yeah. Um, And the thing about it is, you know, the reason that you do all these things is you're not expecting that any of these things are truly treating the original thing that caused the high uh, intracranial pressure. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to mitigate the symptoms and the injury to your brain um, for once these symptoms and the inflammation and all that stuff that's going on inside your head, once that starts to calm down, you've at least tried to protect the brain as best you can so that you don't end up with as many sort of long-term deficits from having a very severe brain injury.
1: Right. So a lot of this stuff is basically... You're doing in conjunction with trying to figure out why the pressure is increased, yeah. and then if you can, treating that. So if it's, like, related to a tumor or a mass or something like that, dealing with that. Yeah. If it's related to usually traumatic brain injuries, a lot of times it's just time. Yeah, Like, you just have to kind of wait not until like, the brain heals. Yeah, if there's
0: not, like, a huge bleed or something like that in the brain that you could evacuate, which just means, like, get out, Um, uh, and it's just, like, a severe traumatic brain injury, then this is what you would basically do
1: yeah and you would just do it until signs started getting better and then once once you had indication that the brain was healing and the pressure was going down you would just slowly peel back each of these therapies um and these therapies are kind of done in conjunction with each other yeah. so if you're doing hyperosmolar therapy if you're using mannitol and stuff like that you're still doing that while you're doing all a the lot other, of other things stuff. yeah so um so when you peel it back you take it away one at a time and
0: like for luke cage what could we have done so we could have elevated the head of the bed, right? Yes. We definitely could have. Which they did not do. They didn't do. We could have uh, put in a breathing tube and. Hi- they also did not. They didn't check his
1: airway. At I mean, all, that's true. So.
0: <laughs> um, so we could have put in a breathing tube and hyperventilated him or made him made him breathe faster. I guess they right. could have used like intranasal, like non intravenous medications to keep him sedated. Um, yeah. But it would be it would be so hard to monitor. Well, maybe yeah. not. Yeah, who knows? So they could have um, <laughs> given him some, like, intranasal, uh, like, you know, verset midazolam or something like that to try to, like, chill him out a little bit. Um, cooling. That's pretty yeah, easy they to did, do.
1: They did ice him. They packed ice around That's his true. Head. She did.
0: Claire did ice him. And I think that's it in terms of, like... Yeah, because everything else is,
1: requires either IV access or monitoring. Yeah,
0: or like or really surgery. intense so. invasive monitoring. And then the surgery definitely couldn't have happened. Although, well, if
1: they found that super-powered laser, maybe. Maybe.
0: So um, the other thing is, I know you had talked about the EVD, the external ventricular drain, um, yes. is a way to get CSF out. The I guess technically when Claire went in her in the eye
1: oh. if she was in a
0: CSF space she could have gotten a, a pressure yeah. from that and, and she could
1: have left the needle there she could maybe. have left
0: or like yeah left something like a i mean ideally you would be using like I mean, a that's catheter that's not ideal yeah but
1: to go in there. The chances, if she managed to hit that space without hitting anything important, right you the chances of her being able to do that to do again, again are if she so started low. seizing it again are so low that she should have just left, left it there it. Yeah. or replaced it with a catheter. Like, she should have used... Like, just taking the needle off the syringe and, like, put a cap <laughs> yeah. on the end of the needle. Yes. Because otherwise... I mean, but then Jessica if he would had come back again, like, what would you do?
0: Just like somebody would like inadvertently walk into the room and see this like huge man with like a needle coming out of his eye and just been like, I'm nope, I'm leaving. Someone,
1: someone does do that because after Jessica leaves, um, Jessica's neighbor comes in oh, that's and is right. like, who are you? <laughs> and Claire Temple's like, I'm just a nurse. I'm just taking care of this person. Just don't
0: worry about it. And then what if he also had a needle <laughs> sticking out of his eye at the same time?
1: Oh my God. That poor neighbor. Also, poor Claire, she keeps a really calm head throughout all of this. Oh, yeah, because
0: when she sticks the needle in, he's, like, actively
1: seizing. He's seasoned. actively seizing. So he's, like, and shaking
0: and shaking. So, like, very, you almost never want to do a very um, delicate procedure, such as sticking a huge needle in someone's eye to get in a very small <laughs> space while they're yeah. violently moving around.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's just, she, I mean, her her nerves are steel, but also, I have to assume she's not done that particular procedure before. Like, I can't I, imagine that she goes and drains CSF like teach this that, a lot. They don't
0: teach that in nursing school. I feel no. confident. And she—they don't teach just it in medical like,
1: school either. No <laughs> <that> matter, <laughs> she's just very, very calm and just does it, and it goes off without a hitch, and basically saves Luke Cage's brain. I guess. Yeah, and
0: his life. So I mean, there's—we know that there's at least one way that Luke Cage can die. You know. I think that that is... Just
1: give him a TBI and let him herniate, I guess. I guess. If Um, you're
0: trying to kill him. Another way that you can, just as an aside, another way that you can drain CSF and check the pressure is by doing... Is through a spinal tap. Yeah. Um, And you can do this thing called an opening pressure, which is a... it's, It's funny. I think it's funny to us because it's something you learn about in medical school all the time. And then when you actually are asked to do it. It's such an unwieldy
1: set of things to do. Oh, God, it's such a pain in the ass. Yeah. You need, like, you definitely need, ideally, at least one other person there Yeah, who's sterile and holding It requires, like, stuff. two sets of hands. Um, oh, that's the other thing. Nobody is sterile throughout this oh, entire yeah. episode. Like, the ED doctor, when she's about to drain drill into his brain, did not drape or prep anything. Yeah, she didn't even, like, clean the area where she was about to put a drill in. I think Claire at least puts on gloves I mean, they're not sterile gloves, but she puts on gloves before she sticks a needle in his eye.
0: Does that ED doctor not have gloves on when she does the drill? she I don't remember if she not. has gloves
1: on. But she definitely did not clean his head oh, and did not prep anything.
0: Well, she went so. into the front of his head with a... Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so when you get the pressure, what you do is its it sounds like it should be very, like, high tech. But all it literally is is this long glass tube that has a series Mm -hmm. of demarcations on it in centimeters and you quickly as soon as you get the needle in the space you have to sort of take the plunger that's in the needle out and then quickly hook this thing up to see how (laughs) high up your cerebrospinal fluid goes and then you can say that Uh, there's like 10 centimeters of water pressure in the head. It's a nightmare to do. It is, it's really annoying. Yeah. Because if you don't put it on right then, then you like lose some of the pressure, and then you're underestimating it, and it's a hole to do. But I have drained CSF from someone to help with their high intracranial pressure yeah. before. Yeah.
1: Oh, and just as a point of reference, we should have mentioned this earlier. When we're talking about kind of the volume of CSF that she removes through that needle, normally when you do like a spinal tap, for example, yeah. you're taking out like four milliliters or five milliliters of CSF yeah for tests and all of those things and even when you're draining CSF through like a uh, external ventricular drain it is a small amount it's a small it is amount not like yeah. 25 cc's at a time
0: yeah you rarely need that much unless you're doing it I mean even when you're doing it therapeutically you might take out like 10 sure although the, the time that I did it we actually sort of took it out until the pressure was what we wanted it to be
1: yeah, I think with the EVD, frequently you do you do it until the pressure is where you want it to be, but usually that doesn't take more than, like, 5 to 10 cc's. Yeah. You definitely usually do not drain, like, 25 cc's or 50 cc's at a time. That's not good. So. Not a great idea.
0: So, all right. Have we talked enough about severe TBIs?
1: I think we have covered everything that we need to cover. We have all so... of our acronyms down? <laughs> I don't know if we've defined all of them. Hopefully we did. We may we or may not absolutely. put a glossary in the liner notes for you guys. Um, but let's go to the resident lounge. Um, one of the things that I wanted to, there, there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. One of them is that, so at the, once they stabilize Luke Cage, once Claire Temple and Jessica Jones are there, Lucas stops seizing and they're calm. Um, they, they look over and Jessica has that leg wound from when a nurse or somebody like slashes her with a scalpel oh yeah and and they they talk about how like she doesn't actually need stitches and so she uses these like butterfly uh Stary Stary strips trips. which are just a really uh what is it it's like a it's kind of like a dressing like a band-aid almost but yeah. it can hold wounds a little bit. They're just like, with more they're tension. like just stronger adhesive strips. Yeah, it's yeah. stronger adhesive. Um, she probably actually could use stitches there. It's like <laughs> a very long, clean and deep wound. And it seems like the perfect one to go get some stitches. Yeah. And then considering that she's about to go off and like fight some more battles, it seems like maybe. She shouldn't
0: have like an open. I mean, people having open bleeding wounds in a lot of these types of. TV shows and things is always like stressful for me because it's just like you have this huge wound. It's definitely and ro- getting infected. Around in the ground, it's like yeah, like in the street. Well, and there's just, just like, like okay. dust and dirt and like all this nonsense everywhere. And like sometimes they go into. Likely contaminated water with an open wound, you know. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna
1: if they don't die from that encounter, they're gonna get sepsis. They're gonna get sepsis. (laughs) Yeah, like she's gonna end up back at the hospital, and then they're gonna be like, "Oh my gosh, you have sepsis." (laughs) But at least her skin is not unbreakable, so they would be able to get IV antibiotics. She could get
0: an IV. She could uh, get antibiotics. She could get uh, vasopressors if she needs them. All this stuff. So she probably needs stitches.
1: So that's one thing. That's
0: (laughs) one thing. Another thing is. you know, looking... Like, talking about how, like, Luke Cage's power to begin with, that he probably has super dense skin that's impenetrable, but also super dense muscles and bones, kind of made us think that all of the power from that shotgun would have just been concentrated on his brain. Um, yeah. Which would just make it mush. So, like, when Claire goes in to take it out, like, she should just get, like, mush brain. <laughs> and not yeah. just CSF.
1: Because, I mean, if you think about... So, like, I was thinking about cars as kind of an example because the reason why your bumper just, like, falls apart when you're in an accident is because it's supposed to. Yeah. It's because it's supposed to absorb and disperse that force so it doesn't get transmitted into the car and to you. Um, and if Luke Cage's brain doesn't have a bumper, essentially, <laughs> like, like, that that shotgun blast, all of that force would just be transmitted right through his un- impenetrable skin And bones, and just his brain would just turn to liquid. When I was a kid,
0: you know how in car commercials they show that frequently. They show the like dummy test, yes, and they show the car like crumbling in front. When I was a kid, I used to be like, why do they keep showing this? Their cars are so terrible; they just fall (laughs) apart when you when you crash
1: them. You're supposed to be focusing on how the crash test dummies are still alive they're not really alive no i guess sometimes they were animated i think they're just trying to show i mean honestly
0: what they're trying to show is how much crumble there actually is which is like Like, look how good our
1: car crumbles
0: yeah and i was like it seems like a bad thing if your car just crumbles and then my dad like when i was older explained to me that the whole point is that your car is taking the impact and not giving it to you your head yeah so that you don't get like severe like whiplash or um, a brain injury or something like that. I think, and also the part that always freaked me out was like when the airbag would deploy and the dummies would yeah. go like seven inches in, like their faces would go way into the airbag.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Anyway, but yeah. So it's like the same idea is that he, he has no absorber, right? Like his, the rest of him is just going to just move that force right along, <laughs> right into right his brain. Right up into his brain. And a shotgun yeah. is like... A pretty substantial Uh, force,
1: right under his chin. Yeah. Also, I didn't know that police
0: routinely carried around shotguns. Is that real? I
1: I assume that they. I mean, like if they were getting called to some kind of like violent disturbance, I know that like sometimes they're outfitted, which they can be in the well, at least in TV. I don't know in real life. But a shotgun. TV police frequently have shotguns. (laughs) I mean, it depends. There's different kinds of shotguns. This is getting like too into the detail of shotguns, but there's like you can. Presumably, have shotguns that load. I, this is from video games and TV. I don't know. I
0: don't actually know. I don't know anything about I'm shotguns. I'm just making either. stuff up, so I can't. According help
1: to TV, there are shotguns that you can fire more than once. Um, well, yeah. Obviously, you can fire them twice because you put two shells in the. And shotgun. more than twice, some of them okay. in video games and TV. I don't know. It's I don't know. We'll either. look it up. We we should not speculate we'll not. on guns because we don't no know idea anything. What police about have in their
0: cars. They may very well have shotguns. Um, yeah. we were also looking up. Luke Cage's origin story um, and I think in another episode we'll probably get more into like the science of a lot of how these like superheroes quote came unquote, to be um, science quote I unquote. mean science with quotation marks and italics yeah. um, but it's kind of interesting because it's like all these ideas that are like close to real but like not quite there um, yep. and it seemed like especially in the spectrum of like Luke Cage Jessica Jones. Who else is, like, a genetic something or other?
1: Oh, a lot of them. Lot. Captain America. Captain
0: America. Yeah. So a lot of those superheroes have, like, something... It's it's not the that Hulk. they're Deadpool. It's not that they're, <laughs> like, uh, born with this, but somebody has, like, done something to the fundamental structure of some... Sometimes it'll be, like, their cells. Sometimes it'll be, like, their DNA. That yeah. sort of thing. And, like, that's how they came to be. At some point, we'll talk about gamma radiation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, spider bites um, yep. but basically when we read it they said that there's uh sort of scientist immersed who would eventually become Luke Cage but was originally called Lucas in an electrical field conducted by an organic chemical compound which i don't know what that is, just is but it's a, a bunch m- of words it's a madland <laughs> It is basically a Mad Lib. And so it was like, okay, electrical field, organic chemical compound. And so immediately we thought of just a series of potato clocks.
1: Yeah, you know, like connected in to grade each other. school for your science fair yeah. when you're making light bulbs turn on through potatoes. That's probably what Luke. Like, Cage is what I'm
0: envisioning, because if you're immersed in an electrical field, it doesn't look like anything. Like electricity no, is not. invisible. You know, like <laughs> it's not like a big vat of electricity. It's just like it's a force, right? So you're all I see is like a big circle of potato clocks that are yep. stacked like 50 potatoes high. Yeah. And then he's just, like, in the middle, just, like, twitching every now and then.
1: <laughs> that would make for a very um, boring episode. <laughs>
0: you wouldn't want to watch somebody standing lying
1: in, a potato, in, like, a potato
0: clock bunker. A vat of potatoes. It's not even a vat of potatoes. He has to be in the field. He has to be in the
1: electrical field. That's true. The potatoes are around him in a specific orientation yeah. to produce an electrical field. To produce
0: field. an electrical field between them. Yeah. And he's in the middle of it all.
1: Yeah. Science Mad Libs are are fun. Yeah. Um, There's one other thing I just want to mention as uh, kind of an aside, which is seizure precautions. So if you were to come across a person seizing, please do not hold them down. Like in the show, (laughs) Luke Cage starts seizing and she's like, Jessica Jones, hold him. And when she does, he kind of like. His head stops moving in actuality, and maybe the rest of his body is moving, but it's hard to tell because Claire Temple's, like, sitting on him. Yeah. Um, but if an actual person is seizing, do not try to restrain them, because if you do, since these movements are involuntary, chances are they're going to break something. Yeah. Or hurt themselves. Or hurt themselves. Don't put or anything hurt in you. their mouths. Yeah. Um, don't... Just, like, turn them to their side so that they don't, like, vomit and inhale what they whatever want. they vomit yeah. um, and just you have to wait for the seizure to pass essentially and you know call for help and and all of that while you're doing that and the other thing is while he was seizing i know that she only grabbed basically a handful of syringes but you could do like rectal diazepam or like one of those intranasal um, benzos that we talked about in order to stop yeah. the seizure yeah um, there's so many ways to get possible. medicine in you yeah and particularly for seizure precautions um non-iv medications to stop seizures are pretty relative are relatively common because we have to send pa- parents and patients home with a way for them to stop seizures if they were to have a seizure like kids with epilepsy or something yeah. like that you need to have a way to be able to stop their seizure at home and you can't expect parents to know like how to place an iv and give them iv medication yeah, it's kind so of like having
0: an epi but it's for seizures seizures yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah, just don't do what TV says and hold people who are having seizures down.
0: Yeah. Just call for help. Make, and, yeah. you know, if you have medication, if you have something like rectal diazepam around you, use that.
1: Yeah. And frequently, like, EMTs will have that, yeah. and they too, can, because and they it's can just faster than trying to, like, place an IV and do all of that stuff while someone is seizing. Yeah. Um, so you can do all this other stuff if you don't have access. Yeah. Um, just as a practical aside. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So that's the resident lounge. Let's talk about our discharge summary, which is where we actually review the thing that we just watched. Yeah. So what did you think, Deepa?
0: I thought it was great. Obviously, um this not obviously, but this was sort of the <laughs> thing that inspired us to do this whole thing to begin with. And I like I always like it when something happens and they take some care to do at least some sort of physiologically true ways to you know, describe or present this sort of thing. Um, It was definitely something that like got my brain thinking when I saw the episode. Um, Obviously I loved the first season of Jessica Jones. I thought it was great. It was like one of my favorite out of all the Marvel everythings. Um, And this was just like another cool thing in it that made it a little bit even more, even though it's like superhero, whatever, it made it a little more realistic because um, I liked how they had the sort of civilians interfacing with the superheroes and the kind of like minutia level complications that could cause, like we can't get into Luke Cage's skin. What are we gonna yeah. do? Um, so that was really cool, and yeah. So I what give do you it, rate it. I give it seven out of seven aliens from outer space that cause an entire city PTSD. <laughs>
1: okay. Um, I agree. I think, you know, like you said, I also have a soft spot for this, because this is kind of the origin of, you know, our podcast situation. Um, And I also the part of superheroes that I think is really interesting is how the actual world would deal with them. So that's why I really like like the Incredibles that kind of deals with that too. Um, And X Men because it's kind of just about like what would people do if superheroes actually existed and, yeah. and what is their impact on actual life for non super people um, and I think Jessica Jones does a really good job with that um, and again the medical details there's like weird stuff here and there and we tend to be a little critical because that is the point of our <laughs> podcast but. Um, the details that they did slip in, I think, are really interesting. And clearly, someone did think about this. Like, they were like, where's a place that I could get CSF and would it be possible? And so somebody actually did the did the thought experiment behind that. And I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I would love um, to meet
0: the person that thought of that because it's great. Oh,
1: we should look up who the medical consultant, consultant is. Yeah. yeah, we'll look that up. Um, so I will give this episode or, like, this situation episode um, six – out of 6 ice packs. Oh my gosh. I guess. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. So that is all we have for today. Um thanks for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Docs Watch. You can subscribe to our medical ramblings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at @docswatchpod or visit us at docswatchpod.com.